your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to an off-season edition of the Blocking Charge Cast, right in the middle of our football previews. It turns out there's some big-time Big Ten basketball news, and that's the only Big Ten basketball news source that really has any credibility left anymore after, you know, the whole fiasco with, um, well, a lot of really fiasco-y things happened in March, but, uh, but, but we've, we've posted through it all, um... And so here we are to deliver you the scoop. I'm Steve Ron, a.k.a. Thumbasaurus, and I'm with Andrew Koscheski and our own MN Wildcat, who is weighing in on the big news item of the day, the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Matchups being announced, yes. And it, you know, even though we're in the offseason here, conditioning programs not exactly fully implemented, I don't see any need to stretch. I think we just go ahead and, and hit this with a wind sprint. So... Top of the first of all, good news here being that now Notre Dame playing in the challenge means that nobody has to get Boston College all over him. So that's that's a good oh god bless. <laughs> uh boy, some interesting storylines. Of course, this feels like maybe more than ever before, it's gonna be a challenge dominated by the coaching headlines of the two premier ACC schools. Am I wrong about that? Like, does anybody think? that any of these games are actually going to be discussed when Roy Williams did retire and now Coach K is going to? Wait, Coach K is going to retire? Oh, perhaps oh. you've not heard. Some bitch, no. Wow. But don't worry. There's an entire basketball season for us to discuss it. And Thank God. I believe it's like you get it. Oh, my. It's, it's going to be uh... – Well, I mean, the good news is they're still going to have Zion Williamson, right? You so know, he, they shouldn't lose too he, much. Would he be – let me think. What you, he would still be eligible to play if he'd just gone through it. Hmm. All I know is he's still substantially more relevant to college basketball than the opponent of my team that I'm trying to watch. Look, that happened like once or twice where he did the Pelicans happened to be playing and Illinois was on, and I think they were doing it just to troll you. And here you are talking about it, so it works. Yeah, Apparently, well, well, my my cons- you know my question is this. And Wildcat, were you sweating it out knowing that the head coach in waiting for Duke was just biding his time at Northwestern? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hold on. You know, it's, I have a situation. It was a pretty dark moment for a second. We were really concerned, um, you know, that we were playing exclusively tape of the NCAA tournament team and just kind of making our peace with it. Uh, I had lit a couple – lit? Lit? Oh, boy. It is the offseason. I have lit a couple of loaded candles and hope that maybe Chris Collins was the answer for Duke basketball. It was. Uh, it does not appear that it is to be, but you know, you never know. Maybe Northwestern basketball makes a run to the to the finals this year, and Chris Collins is suddenly poached right out from under us. When you say the finals, do you mean like the finals of that corner of the Big Ten tournament bracket, like to like to the finals of that quarterfinal? Oh no, sorry. I mean the finals of the uh, of the uh, Charleston Classic, uh, you know, non-conference basketball tournament. Lots oh, big. Yeah, it'd be big. It'd be huge for the big program. Not. That's what the fan big base if. needs right now. Big if true. Uh, okay, so looking at the matchups that were announced today, and that we'll probably drop a link in the article that contains this podcast. 
I think there's kind of a clear top tier games, at least in terms of what we would expect out of those programs in Michigan versus North Carolina, Ohio State, Duke and Florida State, Purdue. Right. Those are kind of the highlights of the event this year. Are you suggesting that IU Syracuse is not still the premier matchup that it once was? Um, as funny as it would be to watch another Indiana team shoot like three for 48 against Bayheim's same zone he's played for 40 years. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think that's going to have quite the sizzle it does this year. In fact, aside from Buddy Bayheim, who I only know because his name is Buddy and he's the coach's kid, I don't think I could name a single other player on Syracuse's team. But I, I grant you that, you know, probably the first major matchup, I, I haven't looked at Indiana's non-conference yet. Maybe they have a marquee game or two before this. I would hazard a guess that this is probably going to be one of their higher profile non-con games in the first season under Mike Woodson, um, which again, we have so many J.R. Smith clips queued up and ready to go. (laughs) If if things should go south for Mike Woodson in any way, uh, we urge Indiana basketball, give us a reason. We'll do it. Yeah, I don't have the video. I I had a bit of a situation. My dogs just decided to start a fight and... Uh, then I straight up slipped and fell right on my knee, trying to round a corner on my carpet really quickly. Anyway, um, that's yeah, that that sounds a little more pleasant than watching, uh, you know, watching, I guess, now that Bayheim is the elder statesman in the conference, watching the game that they're involved in, because, you know, all the salivation that they usually have to do over head coaches with the, the longest tenure in this, it's all going on to Bayheim now. Well, remember, Coach K is still there. He's not – he's doing a – they named his successor, but he is coaching this year. So this is his last season. So it's going to be – they're going to give him the Derek Jeter. Uh, uh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of retupect for that guy. Yeah, it's going to be a season-long, um, you know, masturbatory event and also advertisement for – we're probably going to learn exactly how many – national titles john shire has been responsible for solely as an assistant and actually he's the brains behind the operation well uh, again that only disproving the the prior theory that it, everybody used to be pretty sure it was chris collins that was actually the brains behind the you know that that coach k hadn't actually been the guy since the 90s so uh, hopefully shire is uh, just as responsible as collins it would be nice it would be nice if that was exactly true um, since we've talked about it a little bit, we'll start there in the Duke versus Ohio State matchup. Of course, Duke once again avoids a return trip to uh, the Breslin Center. And if the idea is that because Duke is going to be substantially better on paper, I don't know about that. Um, I wasn't all that impressed with Duke last year, of course. And although they have an excellent recruiting class, Michigan State should be considerably better too. So it would have been totally doable to finally drag them back into the Resolent Center for a return trip. But of course it didn't happen because I don't think Coach K wants to play there. Um, Just like he was never going to play at Maryland for the entirety of his career. Like he would have withheld, he would have held Duke out of the challenge before going there. So anyway, he gets to go and play in an Ohio State building that is quiet at the best of times because of how cavernous it is. Uh, could be an interesting matchup, though. Duke is, as usual, going to deploy a trio of top 20 freshmen. Um, Paolo Bonchero is going to be the headliner there. Excellent name and also perhaps secret life as a Brazilian dancer. Um, and Ohio State will counter with a less talented freshman group, but they return a core of experienced players with Dwayne Washington, Justice Suing, and EJ Liddell. So a little bit of a star-powered youth versus you know lower ceiling button much more experienced 
team in Ohio State, Duke. That should be an interesting one. Absolutely. Time to catch uh, catch Duke potentially developing. Um, but like you said, you know, the uh, just kind of that nice cavernous send-off for Coach K where it can be all about him and not about any kind of the rivalries or some of the things that make, you know, Big Ten ACC challenge good. But, uh, you know, that is what it is. Well, the good news is it does seem that there's a, a bit of a of a window there for, for something like, say, last year to happen, uh, where, if you recall, teams that ended up being, you know, thoroughly mediocre, a la Michigan State, just went in and just had a parade in uh, whatever the hell they call it, Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, it would be delightful to see the same thing happen again, as everybody can only fall over themselves to, to talk about how, how important and phenomenal this is. Um, you know, as this team loses wire to wire, we can only hope. Be my dearest wish. <laughs> that's that's that, of course, because the thing that I want to happen in the sports world in this like decade, yeah, not quite a decade, but you know, since the since Michigan State went to the playoff, basically uh, everything has just turned to ash in my mouth. So yeah, I'm sure Duke will will probably end up putting a title on on like that's how it's going to happen. I'm not sure what monkey's paw you curled when he had trouble with the snap, but uh, rest assured, it is not done casting its magic upon you. I didn't do anything. I was at a party. I'd had a couple of beers. I was resigned to losing. I was only like, it was, it, I was leaving the room as the play started. And then I stopped to like glance back and, and then it became you know, much different, much different atmosphere after that. So I didn't do that. Somebody might have, but I didn't. I'm not, I'm not taking responsibility for that. Um, speaking of trouble with the snap, Michigan, a very interesting season for them as well. We will see if last year was a little bit of lightning in a bottle or if Juwan Howard has stumbled across a replicable blueprint here. Um, I'm assuming Hunter Dickinson is going to return for his sophomore season. I don't believe he's officially decided yet, but assuming he does, they will be the preseason favorite in the conference, I think, even though, I guess, aside from Dickinson, what they have coming back is Eli Brooks and Brandon Johns, and that's it. Now that's at the same they- time, you, you look at what Juwan Howard did with uh, built in a cave with scrap metal. Uh, you know, when you look at what <laughs> okay, they brought so in last year, you uh, used they that were- reference before. I don't know if I'm comfortable <laughs> referring to Mike Smith and Shawnee Brown as a box of scraps. Uh, those are that's like the player of the year in the Ivy League, and a capable starter from a power conference team. That's uh, fair enough. But you know, the Michigan state fan realized that the transfer is just, you're not guaranteed a, a starting level player, even if you have a very good player coming in from another conference. Sure. But the, I mean, again, there's, there's a very good player. And then there's a guy who in Mike Smith was scoring 22 points a year and they're getting a comparable type of talent in Devonte Jones, the transfer point guard they're bringing in this year, plus a six man freshman class that includes a couple of, probable lottery picks so this is an infusion of talent more substantial than they had last year we'll see if Howard's able to repeat that when everybody else is on more of a normal coaching schedule Um, I don't think anybody's going to take him lightly anymore not that that's necessarily what happened last year but certainly he's going to be that's going to be a team that more teams are sort of aiming at if that makes any sense well it'll be Curious to see how they kind of replace transfers with more transfers. You know, they've got Coastal Carolina's Devontae Jones coming in, and can he be kind of a Mike Smith kind of uh, kind of player? You know, that's that's going to be the interesting thing of Jawan Howard is do we have you know potentially a 
a, a Fred Hoiberg at Iowa State kind of situation on our hands where he just reloads with those transfers every year and and cobbles together a pretty decent team by being a player's coach. That's, I, I think it's a very real possibility. But also, yeah, of course, the future of this sport is going to be through the portal. So you, you have to be able to navigate that because the idea of keeping guys and expecting them to wait until they're juniors or seniors to play big minutes, that's not realistic. You're going to have to replace your own upperclassmen with transfers from other schools in a lot of cases. So that's going to be a skill that's essential to coaching at this level anymore. But of course, you know, as far as the game plan is concerned, uh, nobody's taking 2004 AP coach of the year, Phil Martelli lightly. I think where people are more realizing that they didn't have as, as much ground on Michigan as they thought is recruiting. He's been, Howard has been much more formidable in this in this area than I think a lot of people were prepared for. So I think I think the ma- the main battle for Michigan that people are going to step up their game for is is more going to be off the court. Yeah, and as, in terms of this matchup and the challenge, then assuming Dickinson does come back, you've got probably one of the premier matchups of the entire non conference season in Dickinson going up against Armando Bacot, who emerged late last season as a real force down low for the Tar Heels. Of course, they're kicking off the Hubert Davis era. Um, he's been an assistant there for a number of years. This roster is familiar with him. You can assume they're not going to have huge attrition to the portal or anything, but it is a new head coach and a very high-pressure job. And so they'll have, I would think there would be more pressure on him in this kind of position than there would be on Howard, who at this point is probably going to be smoking a cigar on the sideline. Um, we'll see how this goes. Also just going to point out that North Carolina has a guy named Leakey on their team. So I'm rooting for them in this matchup. I'm sorry to say it. Oof. So yeah. Um, uh, Hubert, I keep wanting to say Hubert Farnsworth, but uh, <laughs> Go clearly for if, if he's, stop you. if he, I mean, if he's, if he's going to be that much of a genius, then we should all just, you know, hope that he never gets around to using any of his doomsday devices, but seems like a Bill Guthridge situation. Uh, where again, you know, it's just a guy that uh, takes over a, a national title level program of uh, recruiting wise on cruise control, but we'll see what, we'll see what he, he does with that. Uh, hopefully only bad things. Um, There's going to be a little bit of a transition there. I glanced at their recruiting today and it's not your typical North Carolina class. At least it's even when Williams was at his best, it wasn't like he brought in a handful of five stars every year. It's, it was just every couple years, he would get an incredible class, ride those guys for a bit, and then the next batch. It wasn't like an every year thing, or at least that was that was always kind of how I got the vibe. It was a little bit different of a pattern than with Duke, Kentucky, Kansas. But they don't have a huge wave of overwhelming talent coming in this first year. Maybe a little bit of hesitation on the part of some of the top talent to see how Davis is going to do things. You know, maybe he's not just going to roll out the balls and let them play. Um, but yeah, it we'll see again with, with Armando Bacon, with leaky black um, with love, they have some guys who showed their talent last year. So I would think Michigan's probably the better team, but there's a lot of new players for them. And I know that was the case last year too, but uh, this is an even larger degree of transition and roster turnover for Michigan. So that'll be interesting to kind of see a sort of uh, temper, a temperature gauge sort of game to see where Michigan is in the early going. Um, I would expect they'll lean heavily on Dickinson and Eli Brooks to begin with. I actually think honestly, with the exception of maybe with possibly the exception of Devonte Jones, 
I think Brandon Johns' development as a senior is going to be more important than any of the new players they're bringing in because at times last year, he was incredibly efficient offensively, um, kind of figured out the defensive side of it down the stretch a little bit as well. And now with Isaiah Livers gone, they need him at that four. Um, we'll see how that looks. But I think he's, he may be their most important piece this year if they want to repeat the level they were at last season. So as far as levels are concerned, uh, Florida State is, is looking like they should be able to sustain the level of a team that is going to get in the tournament but doesn't really look like they want to go anywhere. Um, and the way they're sustaining that is, of course, by bringing in just a, a large number of, um, of talents Yep, they're going to continue to be that team that gets an incredible amount of talent and just wastes it. Like, now what's the best of now? I mean, I was going to say Texas football, but that's not really Texas basketball. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, until his last season, yeah. Um, Indiana basketball, sure, sure, yeah. I mean, honestly, especially in the Archie Griffin era, yeah, that's probably true. I was going to say, like, honestly, as we mentioned a few times last season. People forget that Tom Green won the conference a couple times with all that talent that he had. So it's not like he totally wasted it. Uh, now, Archie Miller, Indiana, yes, that's a good comparison for where Florida State's going to be. Same as it ever was this year. Uh, Matt Cleveland is going to be the lottery type guy that people talk about on the broadcasts. Um, those of you who follow recruiting will recognize the name Jalen Worley, who I believe considered both Maryland and Michigan right down to the end and ends up going to Florida State. So he's uh, he, he got himself some Wendy's most likely. If we can put it that way. Oh, normally we can put it that expect, way. Yeah, I mean, normally you would expect this kind of matchup to go to Purdue because, again, early in the season, Florida State's going to be relying a lot on younger players. Purdue has a not so young team now, but you'd be forgetting the tendency of Purdue teams under Matt Painter to uh, cleat themselves in the foot early in the season and look like they're going to miss a tournament altogether. So, Florida State's probably going to win this just on. The wave of their superior talent, you know, Painter will do something with his rotation that makes you scratch your head. And then in a month, you'll forget about it because they'll find their role at that point. So that would be my expectation for this game. Tell me if I'm wrong. Well, no, I mean, everybody's always trying to dial in the ISO special, right? You, you always got to dial up exactly how badly you're going to lose to how good of a team early. I don't know that I follow the analogy there. I mean, Izzo loses <laughs> because he insists on playing top five teams like back-to-back-to-back to, back to, back to start the season. I don't think that's quite the same as Matt Painter losing to, was it Clemson last year early on? Like that's yeah. a little bit of a different vibe in my opinion. But the point vibe. is that that you, you, you're able to leverage early losses is more what I'm saying. I guess. I don't know if I've ever felt that Painter turns those – just face plant losses early in the season. And she, I, I don't know that I've ever gotten quite the same vibe from that. If well, that then, is, he turns those face plant losses in the early season into face plant losses in the NCAA tournament. I don't know what's hard about this guys. Well, then perhaps maybe he's more analogous to Greg guard, in which case, if they lose this game, we should expect some video of the locker room to come out real soon. Oh, boy. <laughs> 
Oh boy. Uh, shit, man. I forgot all about that. I, <laughs> I didn't even mention Wisconsin here because they're kind of a middle of the table team and their matchup with Georgia tech is not interesting, but we could talk about that. Couldn't That's we? For the we, next we podcast. could. Oh, the yeah. next podcast, that Wisconsin GT game, that will let this be the only time we talk about it. Cause it's going to be ugly, low scoring, just awful Wisconsin basketball and Passner is, more than happy to drag that game into the absolute mud, unless he's not the coach at Georgia Tech anymore. Yeah, because because I'll I'll tell you what, I still haven't actually bothered to to listen to any of that audio, but just the mere fact that it exists and is a story is a huge problem. I can scarcely think of what it could say or you know what the audio could be where I wouldn't feel a lot worse about Greg Gard if I was Wisconsin fan. It's so bizarre because this, the previous season with that same group of guys they had that mid-season rally after Kobe King bailed and had chemistry that you don't often see in college basketball. And then it was all the same guys coming back, same coaching staff, I believe at that point. I just, I don't understand how it could have gotten so bad so quickly. I would be extremely concerned if I was a Wisconsin fan. And of course, the, <laughs> the funny thing is that the end result of that is with a six-man group of seniors who played a ton of minutes who all could have come back who could have all run run it back for an attempt at another conference title the only guy he got to stay was brad davison (laughs) (laughs) all your guys peaced out and now i just he's like i just picture him at practice early one morning and just like god where is the leadership on this team and then davison like comes up behind him and pantses him or something <laughs> hi boss hey coach <laughs> oh man I'm captain now coach <laughs> look at me look at me i am a captain now <laughs> okay so i don't know that we need to get too far into the weeds on that game do we no your two teams games are actually interesting though yeah, except I I think I know even less about what to expect from Louisville than I do about what to expect from my own team. Um, I mean, I guess I would start with the familiar, which is that I think Michigan State almost can't help but be better. The point guard situation, even with a new starter, should be tremendously improved. Um, you know, again, I mourn the loss of our first team All-American All-Name candidate with Rocket Watts, but it just wasn't working. And sometimes that happens. So hopefully with Tyson Walker running the show, things go a little better. They, again, they almost can't help, but go better. This group of wings has to be a little bit more dynamic, even losing Aaron Henry. This should be a much better team. If they get any kind of offensive production from the four and five spots this year, they should be a little bit more like their old selves. Uh, Louisville had kind of a down season as well. And they also are apparently going to be turning to more new players than they usually would. Um, they lost six to transfer pro declarations. Yeah, it's going to be a very new roster. Yeah, and there's a couple – shoot, I had it called up for a second here. There's a couple of kind of high-profile transfers, a couple of guys. <laughs> Basically, the only guy who I knew about on this team, so there's Jeff Locke, the transfer from Florida, and then Malik Williams is somehow still around. Uh, another one of the more obvious um, Wendy's recipients in recent memory – in that he, he appeared to be a lot a mortal lock to go to Michigan State, and then all of a sudden he's not feeling it anymore. He's going to go to Louisville. That's funny. 
um, in, I believe, what was the same class as Tugs Bowen. Well, look at that. He suddenly wants to go to Louisville. No consequences. He's played his whole eligibility out. Nothing happened here. Nothing to see here. Um, anyway, I hate to think what the NCAA is going to do to Illinois for Louisville's crimes. Oh, boy. Well, you know, nothing that uh, nothing that Kentucky hasn't already done to our coaching staff. Uh, in case you missed it, Kentucky hired both of our <laughs> assistant coaches away, our top two guys. Uh, and basically, we had three assistant coaches, and they've all been hired away. So It does uh, tell you, though, that you were cheating super good if Cal wants your guys. Well, I mean, it was um, – Oh my God. Um, Antigua was, uh, I made no bones about the fact that he was an ex uh, Cal bag man and clearly Cal's current guys had outlived their usefulness. So Papa's calling. <laughs> gotta run home when Papa's calling. So yeah, of course I've addressed this before in the, in the wake of a, of a game where we really of a lost the NCAA tournament where we really, really could have used some athletic wings player well, athletic wing players. I'm misplacing my, my plurals here. So Athletic wings would have really helped. So, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. We got a class that had nothing but that. So glad that to Andre Curbelo, we lose Kofi Coburn, which means that we're, we're probably, I don't think we're going to go all the way back to the pressure defense, but it's certainly not going to be the kind of defensive scheme we had, which was Kofi Coburn takes away the entirety of the lane. Um, we're probably going to be looking to move the ball a little faster as a result of the fact that we just, we can't just, put it inside and have Kofi move people around and dunk it on everybody. Um, but that being said, it's probably objectively a little more fun to watch. Uh, even if the end result is a little more hair tearing out because Andre Curbelo is absolutely going to be the, uh, the man running the offense this year, especially with Adam Miller uh, deciding that all of the promises that he demanded being fulfilled were not quite enough for him and uh, going to get, a Will Wade bag at LSU. Um, honestly, I feel pretty good about drawing Notre Dame because I think Illinois is going to take a big step back. I mean, almost can't help but take a big step back from their best team easily since 2005. Um, but it feels like Notre Dame is a pretty winnable matchup for them. Um, they, uh, what, it's still Mike Bray, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, it kind of, it kind of feels like that's starting to run its course. I don't know if they're necessarily going to fire him, though. They have their usual mix of guards and wings who who both can shoot and, both, and think they can shoot. I believe they returned Prentice Hub as kind of their ball-dominant, high-usage point guard. Um, Cormac Ryan and Dane Goodwin are both some wings who could shoot last year. I don't think they have much of a th- – I forget – I don't see the, the name isn't jumping out at me from the roster. I forget the guy's name who was their rim protector last year, who was pretty good. Um, oh, Nate Lasheski is another guy who's kind of a stretch forward. who's going to shoot a good amount. I forget. I can't remember the guy's name. The guy who was basically defense only, but was really good defensively. I don't think he's, it doesn't look like he's on the roster anymore. He must've graduated. So anyway, 
you know what they're going to look like. They're going to have a bunch of tall, tall white guys who like to shoot threes. Um, So they're going to look like Wisconsin, but they're not going to play defense like Wisconsin. Speaking of playing defense or they're not going to play defense, Iowa. Yeah. Talk about a fascinating matchup, man. It's going to be like two fiddler crabs where when Iowa has the ball on offense, it's the strong hands fighting each other. And when UVA has the ball on offense, it's the little weak claws trying to nip at each other. I think that UVA on offense versus Iowa on defense is a li- is going to be a little bit more like uh, I was watching NFL clips recently, and there was this one time when I think uh, uh, Rex Ryan tried to allow Maurice Jones-Drew to score a touchdown on him to get the ball back, and he just went down. Yeah, at the one went instead. Down, yeah. It's going to be a little bit more like that. I believe that was the game where Jones-Drew apologized to his fantasy owners after the game <laughs> for but not scoring a touchdown. He's like, sorry, guys, I, we had to win. So <laughs> uh, maybe, case, I'm, uh, maybe I'm thinking of something else, but I believe that was the time. Yeah, he goes down uh, like right before the goal line and then apologizes to his fantasy owners. So Virginia is going to bring – I mean, again, from an offensive standpoint, they're probably going to run mostly through Kihei Clark this year, I would guess. I don't know if that's a great idea based on what we saw from him last year. They did add Armand Franklin, who's a familiar face to Iowa fans. So that's a guy you'll recognize. He had his moments last year. Um, certainly took a big step forward from his previous couple of seasons. So that's probably going to be where the bulk of their shots come from. Um, we'll really see what Iowa can do. I mean, that's it's what can they do without Luka Garza? What can they do without you know people like Jack Nunji who transferred? Can they stop you know UVA from shooting the three? I could see Iowa getting bombed out of the gym because, you know, assuming he's getting he's he's back and healthy, hopefully, from getting his lights punched out in a bar in Iowa City. Jordan Bohannon is still one of the guys defending on the perimeter, and God bless it, Iowa. That's not, you know, a winning combination we've seen. Um, it just, I I can't, I mean, it's still early, obviously, but I, I it, like you said, two filler crabs matching up, and boy, I can see Iowa getting bombed out of that gym early. Well, I mean, it also depends on, you know, how, how quickly Bohannon can come back from that. And also if he's still, you know, investigating, um, you know, if he's still investigating the fraud that allowed Illinois to supposedly quote unquote, win the big 10 tournament. Um, because of course he has a, a, you know, a Kraken of information that he's going to release. That'll take down the, you know, the so-called, uh, conference tournament champion. So we'll, we'll see if, if that happens or if he gets deplatformed first, so Jordan Bohanna wants to overturn the 2021 Big Ten Championship. Presumably. Huh. Um, well, I hope he storms Banker's Life Fieldhouse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Iowa's going to be another fascinating team to watch next year. They have a fairly big roster situation still up in the air in that Joe Wieskamp is still in the NBA draft. He's He just went through the combine. Um I don't recall, I don't know off the top of my head if he has retained his eligibility with a registered agent or what exactly his situation is. Um, I don't know about what the situation is there, but Garza is certainly not coming back. You mentioned that Nunji is gone. He might be the bigger loss because I think if you're Fran, you're probably planning on, you, I mean, you're obviously planning on Garza being gone. And you're probably planning on Wieskamp being gone too because of the way he shoots and the fact that he's got the athleticism for the NBA. Um, in any case, 
Yeah. And just of, you know, of the games that are left here, it's, I have to say Northwestern and Wake. I mean, Wake's turned over almost their entire roster again under Steve Forbes. Northwestern will find out if Pete Nance, you know, Boo Booey, Chase Adige can, can make a step forward in what feels like the fourth consecutive year. I'm waiting for them to make a step forward. Um, I doubt it, but, you know, dare to dare to dream, I suppose. VT and Maryland could be kind of a fun a fun little uh, little slice for us. Yeah, and Maryland, again, is another team where they have a couple of guys. And again, you know, honestly, if we had done this podcast a week later, the deadline to return to the NCAA is July 8th, I believe. And maybe after that point, we might have to revisit it. And once we know what some more of these declarations are, we'll have a better idea of what these teams are going to look like. But um, with Ayala and Wiggins both still officially in the draft, I believe, unless something has changed on that in the last couple of days, uh, who knows what Maryland's going to look like? We do know that Daryl Morcell is not returning. Um, the announcement came out today that he is. So, as we said, uh, Morcell definitely gone and looking at a spot where Maryland, um, with some renewed expectations, uh, it's hard to know what to make of their their future, I guess. They, they should, in theory, be good, but every time we think they should be pretty good, they underperform and squeak into the tournament and then, you know, lose in the first round. Or something. They are kind of they are kind of the pot that only boils when you're not paying attention, right? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I don't know if that's entirely true because a couple seasons ago we expected with Anthony Cowan and Jalen Smith that they would be really, really good, and they were. But that's I guess that's because like elite talent like that, it's it's pretty rare for it to lie, which is why we make fun of teams like Archie Miller, Indiana, and Leonard Hamilton, Florida State, which is you know it's hard to have that kind of talent and be bad. Yeah, uh, it is more surprising when they don't have an obvious star last year. Uh, they're missing two huge contributors from the year before. They haven't replaced them with any high impact transfers or freshmen. And they're still better than like as good, uh, much better than we expected. I won't say better than the previous year. That would be nuts, but um, certainly better than we expected them to be. As far as Virginia Tech goes, I could not tell you the first thing about that team. All I know is Landers Nolly left. I remember him from Michigan State's terribly disappointing non-conference loss a couple seasons ago to them, he went off and I was like, all right, well, he torched Michigan state and he's got a really cool name. Guess I'll keep an eye on him. And he was there. He like, he, I don't think he even made it to the end of that season. He transferred out. I was like, I don't know anything about Virginia tech anymore. So I can't tell you anything about this matchup other than depending on what happens in another week or so with the draft decisions from Ayala and Wiggins, Maryland could be anywhere from a strong favorite to a total underdog in this matchup. Yeah, the thing about Landers Nolly, two things about him that I never figured out. One, why was he yet another John Gross guy that I was so convinced was going to go to Illinois? And two, could he, in fact, land Denali? Because his name definitely implied that he landed his Ollie pretty nicely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for him to be gone just because like, I can't wait until all those guys <laughs> that we were pretty sure we're going to play for the John Gross Illini. I can't wait until those guys are all out of college basketball. Yeah, so we, we talked about Northwestern Wake Forest briefly. Um, some other games at the bottom of the table that, you know, honestly, we say sometimes that the most interesting games are between the really good teams and between the really bad teams. What you don't want is a mismatch of quality, and you really don't want a couple of mediocre teams either. So you have some matchups here that are going to be bad teams on both sides. Penn State, Miami, Minnesota, Pitt, uh, uh, Nebraska, and NC State, these are not going to be games you're going to watch and expect to see conference contenders. But I will point out 
that other than, uh, you know, games not involving my team, games that I didn't have a dog in, but one from the entire non-conference that I just could not forget from last year was Pitt Northwestern. I was hoping that's where you were going. Yeah, a low-key, fantastic game. Um, and it, I, I don't have, I, I derive no pleasure from remembering the suffering of Northwestern. And MN Wildcat had to drop off the call, which is why we're talking about this without him. But hey, that's what happens when you leave early. You don't get to defend your honor or, you know, gnash your teeth when we bring this kind of thing up. But it was, it was a really good game. And not because the teams were good. No, no, the opposite of that. It was a good game because the teams were so bad that Pitt was able to be terrible for long stretches and still come back, even though they weren't really doing anything all that compelling on offense. It was just like Northwestern let them in and kept making mistakes. And it, yeah, it was, it's the different, you know what it is? I'll analogize it to this. Um, the NHL playoffs so far, especially, I mean, the first game of the finals just happened last night. It was an excellent game. And that's one good way to enjoy hockey. But another good way to enjoy hockey is to go watch like the Flint Generals and my Saginaw Lumber Kings at the Saginaw Civic Center with like 800 other people and half the guys can barely skate and there's like three ejections a game because they just fight the whole time. Like that's also a good way to enjoy hockey. It's very different. It's very, so Minnesota Pitt is not going to be anything like Michigan, North Carolina or Ohio State Duke they'll be playing the same game. Like you'll be able to tell they're kind of doing the same thing, but it's going to be, it should be entertaining in an entirely different kind of way to watch a Minnesota team with like Fred Hoiberg levels of turnover. But I don't think they wanted that because they hired the old coach's former assistant um, versus a pit team under Jeff Cable that has just not gotten off the ground and looks like a total disaster as well. That's a different kind of interesting, but it is also interesting, I think. So overall, I guess, uh, I don't know that we ever plotted this out, but uh, where do you think the balance of the wins lies? I think the Big Ten is top to bottom a better conference. I think last year the result ended up being seven five. I think there were a couple games that were not count that didn't happen or were not counted towards the challenge, but that was only because the Big Ten blew a couple of games that they should have had. Again, Northwestern Pitt Purdue should have won their game against Miami. They were up by twenty something. <laughs> oh yeah. That should have been at least 9-3 in favor of the Big Ten. I don't know if the Big Ten is quite as good this year as it was last year, but I still feel like they're the better conference top to bottom. And I think the ACC is is slowly degrading um, over the last few years from where – I mean, they're definitely not where they were as far as the number of teams that you, you pretty much count on getting one seeds here because, I mean, even Virginia uh, was absolutely nothing special last year. And last year was weird. We'll, we'll – yeah, that, but there's no things see, that but even yeah even removing that data point i don't think louisville with chris mack is where they were under patino obviously he's following some of the rules um duke and north carolina are still going to be there most of the time but the other teams that tend to be towards the top of the table like no one thinks of florida state as being the same thing as being that same level of team like they they don't come off as a national contender because you always know in your head, like Leonard Hamilton's not going to win them any games, you know, they, right. And uh, yeah, Syracuse has fallen off substantially under Bayheim. That hasn't helped. So yeah, I mean, not having Louisville and Syracuse there as that basically as like third and fourth heavyweights there, every bit as much of a title threat as Duke and Carolina. Yeah. The depth at the top of the ACC, I think has fallen off appreciably in the last few years. I don't think that's a hot take either. I mean, yeah. And Duke and Carolina, I mean, I, I, I think that 
either of those two teams would be blown out by Michigan. Um, I think uh, a depleted Illinois could probably take them. I think Purdue could take them. Um, I don't, neither of those two teams scare me this year. Uh, and it's the first, you know, it was kind of true last year, but it, it's been a while since you could go to go in consecutive years and say like, oh, neither of those two teams really, you know, should scare anybody that's at the top of the Big Ten table right now. You know, we'll see about Duke. Um, I know last season was fun to watch and it's not like the recruiting fell off last season, but from year to year, bringing in as much talent as they are, they're still going to be, they're still going to be very good more often than not. I wouldn't be surprised if this, again, disgustingly to my taste, because I would like nothing more than for coach K to stumble out the door with a couple of middling to bad seasons, despite having as much talent as he ever has. And on the way out, he'll probably take a swipe at the transfer portal and kids these days and, and all that kind of thing. And maybe that's what will be necessary for us to finally all realize, oh, you know what, he's not such a great guy. Kind of screw him, maybe. Um, put him in the same box with Roy Williams and put that box on a shelf and let it get dusty in a hurry. Yeah. Um, and then for the future, all, all I really want to see, you know, in years, you know, in the subsequent years is for Louisville to play Minnesota repeatedly. Uh, just so that Minnesota can continue to ask themselves why they didn't just hire this guy's boss. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, honestly, that well, no, because remember, they didn't hire an assistant from Louisville, they hired an assistant from Xavier. Yeah, but when that uh, that was Chris Mack that was coaching Xavier, right? Not the last couple years. I, oh. think, I think Ben Johnson was there for a couple years when Mack was, there might have been some overlap there but I'm not positive. I'm not sure that Johnson was there. Cause I think he had another stop between Minnesota and Xavier. Maybe I'm misremembering that you, you might be right. I think he might've, he might've been a Chris Mack assistant at least for some period of time, but he also stayed there after Mack left, I believe for a season or two. Yeah. You know, we, we, we keep hitting the same bits, but like, I don't know. I, I, I guess we'll see how these things uh, happen. Of course, we've got a lot of football to get through, before then, but you know, we got a, a palate cleanser before we talk about uh, Bella Fleck and the Fleck tones up here on the summer preview series. And then it's right. going to be uh, Rutgers week, which is artificially late this year. Yeah. So our bid on Rutgers is going to be like, hopefully nothing major has happened there. I haven't heard anything about them, but then I probably wouldn't because it's Rutgers. So hopefully the episode we recorded uh, what a month and a half ago, two months ago, uh, will won't be terribly out of date. But look, that's what happens when, uh, due to circumstances, your weekends up getting postponed for no reason. Yeah, all I've seen about Rutgers since then has been just some wailing and gnashing of teeth by by Tennessee people that has nothing to do with Rutgers, except when you think about the fact that they led a campaign to make sure Greg Schiano was not installed as their head coach, and uh, now now he's got now he's recruiting at a level above Tennessee. Because again, we, we all know, we all knew at the time that Tennessee did much better in hiring Jeremy Pruitt. That went much better than Red Shadow for sure. Anyway, we'll see you in football time. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle Empire.